Amen. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for that excitement and joy that you're sharing with all of us on this wonderful Resurrection Day. <clears throat> I just want to speak uh, just for a moment to the person who might be tuning in and saying, you know what? I don't claim to be really familiar with the Christian faith. I know that you guys talk about Jesus a lot, and I know he lived a long time ago in Israel in the first century, and uh, you say that he gave his life, he died on a cross for our sins, I understand all that. And then you're claiming that today, Sunday, is Resurrection Day. This is the holiday where we commemorate the anniversary of Jesus coming out of that tomb alive after being dead. Um, and, but if that historical event happened 2,000 years ago, what's the big deal? What does that even have to do with us and our lives today? I want to I address that real quick. Um, those of you who have your Easter in a box, you know, you've got your boxes all ready to go, right? If you opened up the box by now, and uh, some of you may have disobeyed Becky Say, our office manager, and you perhaps peeked in the box before you were supposed to on Sunday morning, uh, I can imagine what you do on Christmas if you do that, <clears throat> uh, you'll notice that inside the box there are four objects, right? There is a small stone. There is a nail, and this is a 20-penny nail. I got the biggest nail I could find at the hardware store uh, to remind us of something. There is a little wooden cross, and there's also a colorful egg, a really nice colorful egg. And I want you to have these four objects ready as we go through our message today, okay? So you got those all ready to go? I'm going to set them down right here. Yes, that graphic reminds us this is what today is all about. Jesus is risen. So today, friends, I, I, I want to remind you an answer to that question. Like, why is it such a big deal? Why do you Christians make such a big deal out of Easter, Resurrection Sunday? I mean, a lot of people talk about springtime and life coming out of death and winter coming to an end. I remember sitting in a church when I was a teenager, and I was in the wooden pew on the second row, and the pastor was talking about springtime and how the dead plants in the winter come out of their deadness, and they come alive again in the spring. And of course, Easter reminds us of that. And then new life and new bunny rabbits are, are, are running around, and new little ducklings are running around, and everybody's all excited because life is springing up again. And that's what Easter means, new life out of death. Well, we're not talking about four seasons where it's a cycle, where you have spring and summer and fall and winter, and now we're back into spring. Yes, Easter does happen to fall in spring, but if Jesus were crucified in October or November, that's when we'd be celebrating Easter, because it's not just about spring coming forth out of winter, it's about life that could not be held in the grave coming out of death, right? First Peter chapter 1 says this, God has given us new birth into a living hope. We've got new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he, he adds the kicker at the end, Peter does, the apostle who saw Jesus on that day, that first Sunday. Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in other words, Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. So today, Easter, what it's all about, we're celebrating the greatest victory the world has ever known. We're, selling the, we're celebrating the greatest victory over our greatest enemy, who is Satan. We're celebrating the greatest victory over our deepest fear, which is 
the fear of death, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, we have hope for life beyond the grave. Jesus says in John's gospel, because I live, you will live also. And then we're celebrating the greatest victory from fear and anxiety to give us peace and confidence. Your life is secure in God. You know, a lot of people are walking around in the last month or the last six weeks going, what if, what if, what if I drop my mask? What if my mask doesn't protect me? What if I contract the coronavirus? What if I get really sick? What if I die from this disease? That's called the what if mentality. The Christian faith has a different perspective. The Christian faith is not a what if. The Christian faith is an even though. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. Psalm 23. Even though outwardly, Paul says in Corinthians, our bodies might be wasting away, whether you have to go on a ventilator or not, even if our outward bodies are wasting away, yet inwardly in our souls, our spirit that animates this physical body We are being renewed day by day. Our eternal life is secure in God, no matter what happens to this physical body that you live in. And that is a great hope to have that gives you peace and assurance inside. I want to talk about a story today that happened on Resurrection Sunday. I want to talk about two friends that decided to leave Jerusalem, and they decided to walk west toward another village seven miles away. The village was called Emmaus. And along the way, along walking along the road, and you see the graphic there, these two disciples encounter Jesus himself, the risen Jesus from the, from the grave. And they didn't even realize it was Jesus at first. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would go forth like, it, like you say, that as the clouds drop the rain and the rain waters the earth and plants grow from it. Lord, we know that your word has the power to give life. So, Lord, quicken your word in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Help us to understand your your revelation to us and help us to put it into practice. Help our lives to be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're in Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible with you, you can have it right there. If you have a flat screen, a device, a tablet of some kind, your phone, you can turn on to Luke 24 in one of your Bible apps, or you can also read the passages with me up on the screen. I want to start off with a question for you. In fact, I'm going to ask a lot of questions of you this morning, and I want you, because I want you to pause, and I want you to think, and I want you to reflect, Right? Here's a question for you, which I think every one of the disciples was feeling on that Easter Sunday. That Easter Sunday, that is, before Jesus appeared to them. Here's the question. When was the last time you experienced a broken dream? What was your deepest hopes? And and what would happen if your deepest hopes were suddenly just dashed And what if that which you were hoping for the most just suddenly fell apart? How would you be feeling? If you can can, uh, relive your experience of one of your deepest disappointments in life, I think you can start to understand the feelings of the disciples on that Sunday morning. They talk about Friday, Good Friday, being a a time of shock and and terrible pain watching their leader, watching Jesus be crucified. They, they talk about Saturday being a disorientation and, and disillusionment. What happened? 
What just happened? Jesus is dead. Now he's in the grave. And then we talk about Sunday morning, how their mourning was turned into dancing, how their deepest grief became their deepest joy. But we have to start right where they are. And that's where these two disciples are, walking on the road to Emmaus. So it says here in verse 13, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along the way, they were talking about everything that had happened, everything that had happened over the last three days. What do you think caused these two men? Here's another question. What do you think caused these two men in the middle of what was going on? They were disciples. They were with the apostles in Jerusalem. They had seen all these things. What do you think caused them to leave town? Why would they be walking away from Jerusalem at that moment? Well, you can imagine a few things. Number one, fear. That maybe they had fear that their authorities, whether the Jewish authorities or the Roman authorities, they might be after them too because they were identified as Jesus' followers. So they're getting out of town. Disillusionment could be another feeling that they had. They, they just lost their Messiah. And in their mind, the Messiah was also their political liberator. And all the hopes of of uh, grandeur for Israel in the future was dashed. Rome still had the power. Rome put to death their Messiah. Rome was still dominating. Disillusionment. Maybe they were feeling overload by watching the suffering and the crucifixion and the death. It just wiped them out emotionally. And then despair. Despair is that feeling when you lose your hope. You think that the days aren't going to be any better ahead. They're going to be worse. The dream is over. Game, game over. Let's just go home. So they were feeling all of these things as they're walking along the road to Jerusalem. And they're, they're, here's the good news. The, their deepest despair and disillusionment, it was about to get rocked because they didn't even see what was coming. They didn't even know that Jesus saw them walking along that road west toward Emmaus, and he was going to come in and drop in on their conversation. Look what it says in verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And you'd think like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing here? No, they didn't know it was him at the time. He was just another, another traveler on the road. He started walking with these two travelers, Cleopas and his friend, and God kept them from recognizing him. From, they didn't know it was Jesus. And he asked them, he said, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? What are you guys talking about? What's the topic? You guys seem really worked up about this. And so here's one of the questions that I have for you, because these men, it seems shocking and unbelievable, but they didn't recognize it was Jesus who had come among them. I mean, here's a question. Why do you think these two men didn't recognize Jesus? Well, the Jesus they knew, the last time they saw him, he was in tatters. He had just gone through a beating, a mocking, a scourging, a crucifixion. He had just died a terrible, horrible, painful death on the cross. He was dead and he was buried in a tomb. They had zero expectations of ever seeing Jesus alive again. And emotionally, they were down and they were despairing. They weren't looking for Jesus. They were mourning the loss of Jesus. So maybe that's a reason why they didn't recognize him. Here's a question a personal one for you in this Easter season. What is it that keeps you from recognizing Jesus? Maybe uh, uh, it, because if you can't see that in the church, we know that 
Jesus promises to have his presence here with us when we gather together. Jesus said, where two or more of you are gathered together in my name, and he didn't say in the same exact room with physical proximity of less than six feet apart. He said, when two of you are gathered together virtually, thank you, technology, we are able to gather together. And Jesus says, because you're gathering together in my name, here I am among you. So don't miss Jesus' presence here with us even today. Let's go back to Jesus' question. He's walking with these two men. They're walking west. These two men are down and dejected. And Jesus says, what are you two talking about? They stop short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, and we know who this one disciple is, Cleopas. We don't know the other guy. The scripture doesn't tell us. Cleopas means glory of the Father. And Cleopas replied... <laughs> You can imagine a little sarcasm there. It says, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Now, obviously, Jesus knows exactly what happened. He was the center figure of what had just happened in Jerusalem in the last few days. But he wants to hear what they have to say about it. Here's a question for you. I told you I'd give you a lot of questions today. If you were to take a long walk with Jesus... And you had the opportunity right now. Some of you would say, I'm scared to death. I don't even know if I'd want to do it. Other years you would say, when, where, let's go. Let's take a long walk. I'll take a bottle of water with me in case I get thirsty. If you were to take a long walk with Jesus, what would you want to talk about? Well, obviously, the, the number one topic of the last two months is the coronavirus epidemic. Lord, how much longer is it going to last? How many more people are going to get sick and die? Lord, what are you trying to teach us? That would be one of my questions for Jesus. Lord, what are you trying to teach us during this isolation? Because most of us are not getting sick, but all of us have to be socially distanced and isolated from each other. We all have to slow down from our normal activities and pace in life. Lord, in all this slowing down, what are you trying to teach us? Lord, how can we as a church, how, your people, how can we glorify you through this pandemic? How can we point people to the idea that you are love by demonstrating love toward other people? And, and here's my final question, because I want to know this, because I'm not the most patient person in the world. Lord, how much longer is this going to last? When can we, quote, return to normal, whatever normal is going to look like in the future? Now, maybe you guys would say, yeah, I don't even want to talk about the coronavirus. Jesus, if you're walking with me, I want, to, I want to talk to you about my personal life, my relationship, my family, my friends. I want to talk to you about my struggles. Um, Cleopas answered this when he says, what things are you talking about? And Cleopas says, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all the people. But our leading priests and our other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. You know, you realize the Jewish people could not legally put Jesus to death. They probably wanted to a number of times. But because they were occupied by the Romans, only the Romans could put someone to death legally. And so the, the religious leaders, they had to go hat in hand over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, governor and say, please, Roman governor, would you please put this man to death? So they, the, the leading priests and the Jewish leaders, they handed Jesus over to death to be condemned, and the Romans crucified him, right? 
So everybody here in your Easter box, right? You've got some objects in here, and I want to show you. First of all, the, the two men are walking along the road to, to Emmaus, right? Have you ever walked in sandals along a dirty, rocky road? You ever have a little pebble get in your sandal and start to irritate this? I was walking with Lisa the other day. We're taking a lot of long walks together. It's kind of fun. We're taking a walk along these dirt trails, and they have these little pebbles. And I don't know how a little pebble got in your shoe because you weren't even wearing a sandal. But what got in her shoe, it irritated her to no end. She stopped like three times. Of course, Mr. Patience, are we stopping again? Yes. So she could get the pebble out. This is to remind you of that road, that, that rocky road that they were walking on the road to Emmaus. More importantly than that, when you read those words, the religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. I want you to hold up this nail. Now, this nail is four inches long. The Roman nail was actually about six or seven inches long, and it was about three or four times the diameter of this nail. Can you imagine the pain of having those, these nails like that put into your own body, put into your own hands, put into your own feet, nailing you to a wooden cross so that you would have to hang from there? That would be awful. And then you see this other wooden object, this cross that reminds us. You know, we see this cross. It's such a nice religious symbol. I see this worn by people all the time. I've worn crosses in my day. Every once in a while, I say, I, I say I'll never wear a cross again. And the, the reason I say that is because a cross is an instrument of death. A cross is an instrument of execution. This cross was a symbol to the world in the first century that the Romans are in charge and if you ever cross the Romans, if you ever rebel, if you ever go against them, you're going to end up in a painful, horrible death just like this. Your body's going to be hanging on one of these. That's what it reminds me of, a symbol of death. Cleopas goes on. He says, we had hoped he was the Messiah. You see, this is where hope and despair come in. This is where the, the feelings of the highest highs and the lowest lows and what we're going to experience now from the lowest lows back to an even higher high than they had before when they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord a week ago on Palm Sunday. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And all of this happened three days ago. You know, I think even Cleopas, by using that term, rescue or redeem Israel, I think what he meant was they were expecting Jesus to be a military, political Messiah. They wanted him to be a, a commanding figure who would go against the Romans and kick them out of Israel. That Jesus, that Jesus would set the Jewish nation free from bondage to Rome. That was a mistaken idea. And that's why Jesus is going to rebuke them later on when he has this conversation. Because when he says, you foolish people, keep that in mind. You, you keep thinking that the Messiah has to come and be a political figure. He's not going to do that. If you understood the scriptures and what all the prophets were saying about Jesus, you would know it would be, it would be different. Then some women. Now, here's Sunday morning. So that all happened on Friday. And now, and now here's an unexpected report that came from the women because it was the women who had gone to the tomb early in the morning with more burial spices and preparations for his burial because he had to be buried really hastily before the sundown 
uh, on that Friday afternoon. So here's some women. There's Mary uh, Magdalene. There's some other women. They, they, from the group of the disciples of Jesus, they went to his tomb early that Sunday morning, same day that these guys are walking along the, along the road. And they said, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. Now that sounds pretty hopeful. I don't know why the disciples didn't just go hallelujah, but they didn't. They didn't even believe the women. Some of our men ran out to see for themselves. You know, in John's gospel, it says Peter and John ran out. It says John ran faster than Peter, but then he stopped. Peter got to the tomb after John, but Peter barged right in because that's what Peter does. He's a, he's a leader. He just, you know, insert foot and mouth sometimes, but he's going for it. And he saw the grave clothes laying there, but there was no body in the grave clothes. His body was gone, just as the women had said. But even then, Peter didn't understand. He didn't know what it meant. There's a missing body. That's all they knew. The tomb is empty. There's a missing body. Does anybody know what happened to the body of Jesus? Nobody had, had really thought about an actual physical resurrection body of Jesus from the dead. And so these two men, they'd been around the disciples. They'd heard the women's testimony. They didn't believe. Otherwise, they would have stayed joyful in Jerusalem. And so they decided to leave, and they're walking west toward Emmaus now. Why didn't the other disciples believe? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Why didn't the other disciples believe? Well, first of all, the, maybe they thought the women were hallucinating. Maybe they thought the, Roman, the Romans took the body. Maybe they thought the Jewish authorities took the body. But they didn't believe that Jesus actually had risen from the dead, even though Jesus had told them that he would. So now, finally, Jesus decides to open their eyes, right? So... Jesus is, is going to uh, straighten them out, right? Here's what he says. Then Jesus says to the, to the two men, he says, this is in verse 25, he says, you foolish people. And I wrote, ouch, that's not in the original language. <laughs> I just said, ouch, because wouldn't that be uh, quite the rebuke to hear from this traveler, still not knowing it was Jesus himself, but saying, I've told you everything that happened. I've told you what the women said. We didn't believe the message. We're getting out of Jerusalem. And Jesus says to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I said, why, one of my questions is, why did Jesus call them foolish? He called them foolish because they failed to understand that the path to glory for the Messiah had to go through first the valley of suffering. And they didn't see that. So Jesus starts giving them a Bible study going through the entire, you know, scroll of the Hebrew scriptures as they're walking along the road. Jesus is now explaining to them, if there was any Bible study that I would ever not want to miss in my entire life, I would love to be there on the road with Jesus as he, as he is explaining throughout the whole Old Testament, all of the times the prophets predicted the Messiah, his coming, his activity, and where Jesus fulfilled all of those predictions and prophecies. You know, I think of a few of them. I, first of all, I think of Genesis 15, where God says the seed of the woman. How can there be a seed of the woman? It has to come from a man, but there's the virgin birth. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. 
Right there in the first three chapters of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, go and take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, which happened to be the same area in Jerusalem that Jesus was crucified. In Exodus 12, God, through Moses, tells the people that you need to stay home, you need to stay inside your doors as you celebrate the Passover meal, and you need to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel passes over Egypt and he sees the blood of the lamb covering your home, you will not be harmed. Isaiah 49 and 53, 700 years before Christ came, the coming servant of the Lord, he would become our suffering servant. I don't know if you heard Lisa, but she read that on Good Friday, Isaiah 53. It was beautiful. It's up on our social media posting, reminding us that Jesus, that the Messiah was going to be the suffering servant that would die for the sins of the people. All we like sheep were gone astray. All of us had turned our own way. But the Lord, instead of us dying for our own sins, the Lord laid on Him, Messiah, the iniquity of us all. There are lots more predictions than that. I just brought out a few. It's interesting to me, they still didn't recognize with their physical eyes it was Jesus. So what does Jesus do first? He opens their spiritual eyes to say, Wow, Messiah had to be the suffering servant first, and then he would enter into his glory. And so now they stop, and it says this time they were nearing Emmaus. I can imagine that would be a long Bible study, but I bet you it wasn't boring. They were nearing Emmaus. At the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him. They said, no, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So Jesus went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. You can imagine, like, deja vu, here we go. And then he broke it and gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. Wow, what a story. So Jesus, after he opens their spiritual eyes, now their physical eyes are open and they recognize Jesus for who he is. You know, here's another question for you today. What kind of understanding does the, rec does the resurrected Jesus need to open up in your life? What kinds of things do you need to understand? Maybe he needs to give you greater spiritual vision. Maybe Jesus needs to confront your unbelief and say, why are you not trusting in me? After all I've done, after all I've said, after all the things I've done to prove that I am the Son of God, how does Jesus want to speak into your discouragement right now, your loneliness, your skepticism? You know, you think you're the only ones having a hard time believing in Jesus and trusting in Him? Look at the early disciples. On the Easter Sunday, nobody was believing the message until Jesus Himself appeared to them. Your fear, oh, this is for Christ followers. What, what does Jesus need to change in your life? How about our fear of publicly proclaiming the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection? I'm so, I'm so in awe of the Billy Graham family. You know, Billy Graham has passed away now for a few years, but he still has kids that are preaching the gospel. Franklin Graham this morning is in New York City in Central Park, right near the hospital that was built there by Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham is standing up there in a podium in Central Park. Michael W. Smith is right over by the side of him playing the keyboard, and he is proclaiming the good news of Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. 
It, and, and, Billy, and Franklin Graham has no fear of doing that, nor does his sister Ann Graham Lotz. So what do the disciples do? They look at each other and they say, wasn't there something about this man, Jesus? Even we sort of had an inkling of who he was even before our physical eyes were open and we recognized Jesus. Look what they said. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they're on their way back to Jerusalem, right? Go back to where the other disciples are. That's where the action is. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He's appeared to Peter. So now the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, they start saying, we've seen Jesus alive too. And right then and there, Jesus appears among them and he says, peace be with you. And it's such an awesome story because Jesus is saying, why are you having such a hard time believing? It's me. I told you. I told you when I, back when I was in Galilee, when I, we started the journey to Jerusalem, I said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners, and they're going to kill him, and he's going to raise from the dead on the third day. And if you read the Gospels, you see he tells them over and over, and they said, but their hearts were dull, their minds were dull, they didn't understand. And now they're trying to understand, because the reality of Jesus' physical presence alive from the dead is short-circuiting their understanding. When somebody dies, that's it. That's the end game. It's over. They're gone. They're not coming back from the dead. And yet here it is, Jesus alive. And he says, look, I'm not a ghost. Look, I'm a physical body. You want to touch these wounds in my side? You want to see the wounds? Touch them. Does anybody have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish and he ate it in their presence to say, I'm not a ghost. Stop believing. Stop your unbelief and believing. Friends, the last thing I want to show you in the Easter box, this is one of my favorite items. I always love these. I always love the eggs. I, I think they're always fascinating because I'm always curious to say what's inside the egg. And every time I get one of these eggs, you know the first thing I do? Maybe it's the first thing you do. You start shaking it. What's inside? Uh, when I was a kid, sometimes it was coins. Sometimes it's a piece of chocolate. Sometimes it's jelly beans. You know what's in this egg? Boy, we went all out for you guys in the Easter box today. You know what's in this egg? Nothing. What does this remind you of? The empty Easter egg is to remind us that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty because Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive. And if he's alive, he says, you trust in me and you're going to live eternally as well. The the joy of the eyewitnesses, the, look, the beautiful color of this, this always like brings me a little lightness and happiness in life because it reminds us of the joy. Um, try to imagine the joy of the disciples when they, they really realized their, that their head and their heart came together and they really understood that Jesus was alive. The movement had not ended. Rome didn't win. The Jewish leaders didn't win. God won. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. So what they encountered, those disciples, they immediately changed their plans. They said, we got to go tell somebody. We got to tell the apostles. We got to tell Mary. We got to tell everybody we know that we have seen Jesus alive with our own eyes. They couldn't keep the amazing news to themselves. They had to go and share their testimony. And everyone was sharing was, was what they had seen. That's the beauty of the Easter message. I don't know where you are today. Do you, get, do you still get excited about Easter Sunday? 
Or you just say, well, it's another day on the, on the Christian calendar. No, this is the holiday on the Christian calendar. Even though Christmas is a big deal and we made it into such a big deal with the presents and everything, we celebrate the coming of the Savior into the world. But if Jesus had not fulfilled his mission, gone to the cross, paid for our sins on the cross, and then come out of the grave alive, you and I would have no hope. So even when you're doing a funeral for somebody, like Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he says, when we say goodbye to somebody who's died in the Lord, who's, who's fallen asleep, we do not grieve as do those who have no hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of eternal life. Now, before we stop, before we stop the service today, uh, I, Lisa and I had this idea. It says, what if we got the elders of our church? You know, our church is governed by spiritual leaders in our church and their elders. And we asked the elders and their wives to share a little bit of their own heart for what does Easter mean to you? So I want you to see what they had to say. What does Easter mean to you from our elders and their wives? Without Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus would have been, in the eyes of the world, just a prophet. The 500 plus people who witnessed Jesus alive after being laid to rest in the tomb is what solidifies Christianity as the truth. Jesus' death and resurrection is a clear example of how being dead because of sin we can be given a second chance through Jesus Christ. Our God is a God of second chances. Like Jesus told the woman at the well, go and sin no more. He is, he is risen. risen. Happy, Happy Easter. I've been asked to give a short uh, comment on what Easter means to me. And when I think of Easter, it brings to mind the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. For those who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, His sacrifice at the cross washes away all our sins and enables us to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Salvation, the most wonderful of all gifts, is celebrated at Easter as we remember Christ's death, burial, and most importantly, His resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hi, this is Franny, and I'm attempting to do this with the cell phone. On what does Easter mean to me? Um, I wanted to just bring you out into the backyard and show you some things because to me, Easter is Jesus and God promised, they made promises and they have fulfilled them. When Jesus arose from the dead, that was to show us that we can trust every promise he's ever made, that we have eternal life, we don't need to fear anything. There's a tiny little bud out on the vineyard that's just starting. This whole vineyard will be just absolutely green in a couple of weeks. Probably right around the time of Pentecost. Nothing is by accident in all creation. And as you can see, look at the blossoms that are coming out in, in the trees. That every spring, right around Easter time, God is showing us, and he's, sho he's shown us since the very beginning of creation, that there is death in winter, and then spring is resurrection and summer is new life um, we wait you know the early apostles had to wait until they received the holy spirit but for us when we accept christ right away we receive that holy spirit so we are forever sealed in him 
We have eternal life. We don't need to fear anything. More purple. Everywhere you look in springtime, from the color of the grass to the trees, the blossoms, all this is something that God has given us from the very beginning to show what resurrection is all about. It's new life. So Easter to me is one of the most special holidays that we have. Uh, a great gift that Jesus gave us for dying for all of our sins and coming back to life is something something we can't even, I can't even imagine. For him to do that for us is such a privilege. And for me, it's just uh, trying to uh, live my life in a way that is worthy for that great gift. That's what he threw us for me. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. And, you know, he didn't have to do it. I mean, I wasn't worthy. Uh, none of us are worthy. But the fact that he could have called the angels down to rescue him, um, but he let them, he let them torture him. He let them pierce his side and nails in his wrist. He let them do it because he loves us that much. And uh, that's something that we can never, ever, ever really comprehend to the fullest, fullest extent. But. I'm so grateful. I wasn't worthy, but he did it anyway. So I'm just I'm, I'm I'm I can't even really come up with the words because I'm just so happy that he gave us this victory. Because you know what? In the long run, we get him, and that's what counts. Want it? Thank the, thank the church leaders for giving us that wonderful testimony. I really love what Randy had to say in response. You know, what shall we do in response to what God has done for us? Well, let's try to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received um, because that's what Jesus did for us. So um, we've moved from despair to hope. We have moved from death to life. We have moved toward a, a new and glorious future. And just remember... Try not to live your life as a what if. What if bad things happen in, in the future? Sometimes bad things are going to happen in the future, but you don't have to live in the fear of what if. You can live in the confidence of even though. Even though these things happen, even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly in our spirits we are being renewed day by day through the resurrection the victorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So for those of you who have been listening, and maybe this message, this Christian faith is kind of new to you. Maybe you haven't been able to put all the pieces together, and you're just now coming to an understanding. I want to invite you to respond to Jesus who gave his life for you. You know, he didn't just die on the cross for you and says, there, do you understand what I did for you? And you could say, okay, yeah, I think I understand. You, you, you gave your life for me. But Jesus says, if I gave my life for you, I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to put your faith in me. He's not just a great teacher. Jesus is the son of God. He proved it by being raised 
to life on the third day, the day that we're celebrating today, Resurrection Day. And what a great day it would be if this could be the day that you cross over from death to life, that you put your trust in Jesus and all your sins are forgiven and Jesus comes into your life and you have a glorious future and you can have the peace and assurance to live an even though life, not just a what if life. Will you pray with me? If you really want to invite Jesus into your life and you're wondering how to do it, the, the answer is as simple as A, B, C. A, you admit your need. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a need of Jesus to be my savior. You admit your need. B, you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of God, and he has of all authority in heaven and on earth, he can give you forgiveness, eternal life, if you ask him to. Believe Jesus' message. And then C, commit your life to him. Jesus wants you to invite him into your life right now. You put your trust in him. You commit your life to follow him. If you want to do that today, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I... I come to you today, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Lord, I, I realize that I have done wrong things and I'm so thankful that you were willing out of love for me to go to a cross and die a horrible death and be willing to be buried in a tomb and yet three days later come out alive so that you could show the world who you really are. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world, and I'm putting my trust in you. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart today. I will follow you all of the rest of the days of my life. Thank you for giving me forgiveness and eternal life, and I will worship and follow you forever. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer. Uh, with me today because if you did, Jesus, it, he, every promise that Jesus ever made, he makes good on. And if he said as many as received him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. You just received Christ. That makes you a child of God. That makes you heaven bound. That makes you forgiven of all your sins and all the guilt and all the shame. There's nothing now between you and God because you have a right relationship with him now through Jesus. And that's something to celebrate. That's what makes Easter such a special day, amen? Let's sing together, John.